0: It's wonder.
1: hey there and welcome to the latest installment in our gaming podcast
0: One, one, one hits K-O. K-O.
1: whoa whoa i went quite deep there i've been yeah. wanting to change it a bit, but there we go Uh, Yeah, so uh, um, we've already run out of fighting puns and we're only on episode three, but um, that definitely means that we're on series potential. Uh, Ubisoft better watch out. (laughs) I'm Rob, your host, and I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host with his unparalleled fatherly instincts for gaming, Amal. How's it going?
2: Yeah, um, all right. I'm not too sure what fatherly instincts I have, given that I'm not a father or anything like (laughs) that, so... I uh, don't know if that makes me old or something, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been I've been doing okay. Um, still lockdown vibes, I guess you know. Lockdown still vibes. That should be the name of like an album or something. <laughs> yeah, lockdown vibes. Well, it's like that artist who made was it Charlie X E X who made a whole album. In yeah. Down
1: right. It's actually quite good.
2: Uh, I haven't listened to it. I like uh others. I've listened to a few songs of hers. White Mercedes and so, there's another song i listened to but i like quite liked her stuff so maybe i should give that give that a listen
1: yeah she's like it's her and like carly ray Jepsen who also released a new album uh last week uh coincidentally mm. they both kind of give me uh sayonara wild hearts vibes in their music mm. so I, I see why i like them um but yeah like i don't know what week we are in lockdown now must be it
2: just feels like it's 10, just 12, yeah we're in this tr- i'm just trapped in this eternal hell well, okay, that was a bit <laughs> strong, but just this eternal. Do you know what? I don't, I don't
1: know if it is. It does feel like we are kind of in, in an eternal hell. Just in limbo, yeah.
2: yeah. Just limbo. Just we're just carrying on without anything to look forward to, really. Well, I don't want to be that depressing, but it's just, uh, yeah, just a continuation of just doing the same thing over and over again.
1: Well, there is Paper Mario in uh, a month and a half. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, But otherwise, yeah, I I see what you mean. Um, Well, well,
2: we did do that quiz as well. That was really fun because we got a lot of complaints
1: about how hard the quiz
2: was. But also, apparently there was a a round on, what was it, lo-fi, hip-hop music. And apparently... I can't make a round on that and not post the whole song when I'm given a question on it because it sounds too different, which I, yeah. which I thought defeated the purpose of me actually creating that round. Uh, but,
1: you know, for for context, yeah, that was uh, Ecritique City from Pokemon Gold and Silver. And he played a bit that is completely unrecognizable of the <laughs> actual song. It was a
2: t- it was it was slightly recognizable.
1: I'm still angry about that. but yeah i think i think any good quiz uh is when people are angry uh, and salty about the question so we did a great job of that
2: that was great and now i'm I'm really into lo-fi music i am just been going crazy into just listening into lo-fi remixes of everything uh chill pop that kind of stuff so that's my vibe at the moment
1: yeah i definitely recommend that sort of uh music to anyone listening especially if you want something in the background to work
2: yeah it's good for just working or just studying if you're doing exams i guess some people might be um or just yeah. doing some chores um it's just great
1: well if you're trapped in your own eternal hell and you want some <laughs> uh, good social media banter to, to cheer you up um you can find all of our pages at uh one hit KO podcast so we're on facebook we're on twitter we were on Instagram but our account has uh, weirdly been um, disabled. Disabled yeah. even though we haven't posted anything. Rob on it Rob yet.
2: suspected me of posting something scrupulous or you know something uh, quite well, bad, wouldn't it be the no, first time. <laughs> <laughs> no no I haven't uh, haven't done any of that. I think it was just because it was inactive probably.
1: Yeah. Um, well we'll sort that out and uh, follow us on that and also send us any questions and feedback you may have for future episodes to yeah. one-hit-k-o-podcast at gmail.com cool well i think that's enough uh miscellaneous lockdown banter uh, for one <laughs> episode um what uh game have you been playing this week if you could like highlight one in particular
2: well um hmm, halo. halo halo master chief collection so i and this will go quite nicely into some stuff we might talk about later but i bought the xbox game pass for pc subscription oh nice a How much worth. is it at the moment? Is it, it is. That's a good question, Rob. One pound. One pound. Outside bargain. Month. That's ridiculous. The amount of access to games you get, stuff like Xbox AAA, you know, um, first party titles like Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Forza Horizon, um Halo Master Chief Collection, Gears of War 4, um, and, and a whole load of other games. um it's just crazy. I think the normal price is £4 thereafter per month. It's a bit more pricey when you you know, combine it with all the other subscriptions that you probably pay for in your life. And then that's just the beta price. The actual price that they will um, charge when they roll out their subscription is more expensive. So £7 is the normal price. So it will eventually rise up. But um, no, for £1, it was just a great way for me to play with someone who had the Master Chief collection and was like, do you want to play with me? I was like, "Oh, do I want to pay twenty two quid for Master Chief Collection?" And then I thought about it, and I thought, "Oh, I can just pay one pound, and yeah, you know, it's perfect." Nice. Um, and it's been really fun, actually. It's really fun. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Halo. I, I'm. I don't like the cohesion of the world and the characters, and I don't like the feel of the weapons in Halo, and I don't think I ever will. But I do. I do really find it fun when I whenever I play it with co-op with uh, with another person when and we were trying to play you know we're trying to beat the whole campaign each campaign um on legendary legendary difficulty so we're playing through halo one at the moment and it's uh, just been a blast at the moment
1: wow yeah that sounds cool like i think that sort of uh xbox game pass subscription type model is probably the future although I did see on Twitter they are mm. actually removing some games from it. I don't know if that's like a rotation thing they're doing. Yeah,
2: but... yeah, they could be doing that, yeah. And it could be because publishers want to pull games from certain subscription services. I think NVIDIA actually have their own subscription service, oh, wow. weirdly, because they have this, uh, what was it called, the NVIDIA Shield, if you remember that? It was like a, a piece of hardware that was um, yeah. kind of like the Switch kind of concept tablet kind of on the go kind of thing on with a console um but because publishers now are you know creating their own subscription services they want to put their own content on their own services and make them exclusive to entice people to those platforms so now we're going to get into the whole kind of it's kind of like how netflix and you know all those types of amazon video are and disney plus are kind of shaking out it's now extending to the the game subscription space
1: Yeah, and there's so many different kind of video subscription options that if gaming is kind of going in that direction, I'm maybe a bit worried, but Mm. personally, um, even though in some cases for like, you know, Mario Kart type games you want to just jump into, like the convenience of owning them digitally or via subscription is fantastic, Yeah, but nothing does beat kind of having that physical copy, and I don't think anything will ever replace that entirely.
2: Definitely. Although if you're on PC, that physical copy doesn't come with a CD anymore, and if it does come with a DVD or whatever, it's just a, a, a two megabyte installer kind of file saying enter your Steam code and it'll install through Steam. So I think the PC PC days of having actual actual physical copies are long gone.
1: Yeah, I guess it's part of the trade-off for just you know the benefits of PC and having kind of everything. At your fingertips, yeah. Comes at the cost of having something you can actually own, that yeah, fair enough.
2: How? What have you been playing, Rob? Then, what's your highlight of the week?
1: Well, I have both a highlight and a low light. So, um, my low light is I I mentioned last week that I was uh, revisiting uh, Zelda Wind Waker HD on the Wii yes. U, and after we recorded the last episode of the podcast, I spent probably about four or five hours clearing um, a lot of the kind of late game in that yeah and i think around 1am uh, i heard this horrible high-pitched buzzing noise coming from my wii u yeah and then on the screen it just froze oh and because the game doesn't have autosave i lost uh, the entirety of the triforce hunt at the end which is uh, as i think yes. some people know one of the most kind of it's I, I actually quite enjoy it but it's not the sort of thing you want to do twice it's quite a grind yeah and I think I remember when I played painful. Wind
2: Waker. I think I did that. I did I found some of the pieces whilst I was just exploring the world, so it wasn't too too bad. But um yeah, yeah like
1: I was doing that and I was trying to visit like all of the different squares on the map and it's all going mm-hmm. really well, but I have no I haven't picked it up since cuz I just can't face myself doing it. And also like is there a the point in the game where if I do complete it, yeah, beyond being able to do the final boss, there's not kind of too much there for me. So that was my low light, but um, my highlight, highlight is uh, I did actually complete a video game. Oh, um, wow. You know, despite running a gaming podcasts, <laughs> the, the days of me completing games um, is, uh, you know, doesn't happen that often. Yes. That is in part because a lot of games don't really have a kind of completion point. I guess I've completed Animal Crossing um, kind of to as far as you can at this point. But finishing a game did feel good. And so that game was uh, Murder by Numbers, which is this interesting Good. indie game that released on Switch exclusively, I think, earlier this year. But it's also on Steam now, and it's by the the makers of uh, Hatterful Boyfriend, which. Oh is, yes, I love that game. <laughs> uh, I think a cult classic. I remember yes. playing that quite a lot uh, back in the old gaming sock days. But yeah. Um, yeah so basically the con the concept of this game is it's a phoenix right type like visual novel murder mystery which mm. is entirely down my street i i love that sort of thing but it's intertwined with these picross puzzles um i'm not even going to get into explaining what picross is because it's just it's, it's it's fantastic kind of like kind of sudoku type puzzle game but it has quite a lot of nuances uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun, and I, I love those sort of games. There's, like, Picross S1 through S4 released on the Switch as well, and I recommend those highly. But this game, yeah, it combines that sort of, like, murder mystery thing with this puzzle solving, and it is just like, two of my favourite things mixed together, and I absolutely loved it throughout. And while maybe it has a few pacing things which are kind of inevitably caused by mixing like 15 to 20 minute puzzles with this quite exciting plot yeah i think that's just uh an example of how well the developer joined these two aspects and i think kind of successfully for the first time i know a lot of other um, developers have tried to mix some rpg elements and other things with Pitcross gaming but it just doesn't really work but this is definitely the best i've tried so far and for a, a low low price of i don't know i think it's around 10 pounds i however much is i really highly recommend it it's just so much fun
2: cool cool great so um we have discussed what we've been playing this week rob but shall we move on to the generically titled news roundup name (laughs) uh which we have informally maybe called karate chop or wax on wax off to try and uh connect it to our title of our podcast
1: i would like to just clarify for anyone listening that both of those names are from amal and calling a section karate shop, you know it's going to take a bit of convincing for me um if you have any better names please send them in because generically titled news roundup cannot stay <laughs>
2: <laughs> wax on wax off reminds me of that whole you know have you been keeping up with your tiktok video trends lately
1: no i'm an old oh. man when it comes to TikTok. so
2: there's this um there's this meme TikTok meme where i can't remember what the song is that they they play in the background but um basically someone is looking into a mirror they wipe it wipe it wipe it and then they do a fourth wipe and some and they turn to someone else they maybe put on a costume or something weird happens wipe it again and they look surprised wipe it again and they'll turn in back into that person and it's quite funny i saw one with a cat which was quite funny where someone had obviously dressed up their cat and the cat was kind of wiping on on a window which was quite cute um but yeah yeah cool tiktok trend
1: You you had me at cat, to be honest. I was skeptical, (laughs) but I'll I'll give it a watch. Hey, I'm supposed
2: to be the fatherly, fatherly, you know, (laughs) person on this podcast. Why am I the one watching TikTok videos?
1: Let's swap roles. I'll be the miser. You can be the (laughs) the youthful uh, exuberance of the podcast. Okay, let's get into some gaming news. So one of my highlights, uh, I guess because, like, there isn't really that much news. We might just do kind of things that we see. Um, Probably the highlight for me and for everyone else was... um, I accidentally bought uh 1400 pound <laughs> Xbox 1X as a gag and um yeah that's that's kind of the the whole thing. Yeah,
2: I was when you posted it I was like what what are you doing? Are you serious? Are you yeah, just so, posting this for
1: people listening it's um the the Cyberpunk uh, 2077 Xbox 1X which does look really cool was kind of I think accidentally uh, released Priced, yep. in inverted commas um, for um, £1,400 or $2,000 on the Microsoft store and I as a joke pre-ordered it because you don't actually get charged before um, the shipment and yeah I mean that's kind of it, it must be a mistake I think one of the uh, Microsoft marketing guys actually said that like wait till June, they're going to properly release it Yeah, and I assume it's going to be Probably more around the three hundred pound mark, which would actually be a bargain for uh, what it is. But yeah, it's just quite quite entertaining. <laughs> yes, it I also it think. They wouldn't say entertaining.
2: I was crying for you almost uh, <laughs> when you realised you might get charged. I don't think you were charged in the
1: end. No, I did but... cancel it straight away. Okay. But I, they did definitely miss an opportunity to not make it uh 2077 dollars in the u.s yeah yeah that
2: that, that's a a
1: good but i I did read an interesting article um by someone i followed on twitter who uh they said that like while this obviously is a mistake it would be quite cool if it was real because like think of how limited uh this console would be and the kind of the value it, it would have yeah if it was made this expensive like it is ridiculous and no one should ever buy it for anywhere near that amount of money but it yep. would be quite a cool to
2: Yeah. I'm but wondering if isn't. they create a, a Series X variant of this Cyberpunk limited edition because um I imagine they're going to get cross released on those platforms it would be silly not to. Um and yeah, yeah I, the Series X is a weird console because it's so tall and big. I'm just wondering what you could design from like a, if I'm in, if I'm making a limited edition console. I've got a Series X. What do I design it as? This big monolith kind of rectangle, um, cuboid. Sorry, um, it's interesting.
1: I think the answer is obvious here: uh, a fridge, <laughs> as they showed in yes. the, the recent update.
2: Oh, I really do want them to release a fridge designed, oh, or just a fridge funny. that is <laughs> Microsoft releasing a fridge in the design
1: of an Xbox Series X. That would make. They mind. will inevitably do a version of it. Like they always do, their kind of like launch version. Yeah. But like this cyberpunk one does actually look really cool. Like it's got glow in the dark. It's got like lights. It's got a lot of like really kind of intricate design oh. choices. And to be honest, like getting a console for relatively cheap at the end of its life that yeah. has solid resale value and will also have kind of cross cross buy between yeah the series yeah. X for like a good a few years. It's not a bad years. buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. I might do it if it's cheaper than fourteen hundred pounds. <laughs> I guess we'll see cool and the other kind of big big thing well, it's not big thing but really interesting thing i saw on twitter was uh there was a kind of a thread going around that said give me a horror story from your special speciality in five words or less and um one of the uh, developers for the original assassin's creed game posted... 2007
2: let's just go with that wow. name because i think when people say original assassin's creed so many now. Um, yeah, but this do's... is the one
1: with uh, Altair, um, yes. not Ezio, which then this game, when it came out initially in 2007, wow, that is, I feel old now. Yeah. That was, it, it got like kind of mixed reviews because I think there were some elements to it that, and there was a few bugs in it and people were like, yeah. you know, was it entirely thought through? But this story has kind of blown it out. So uh, what Charles Randall, who's, um, I'm not exactly sure sort of his position, but he was involved in um, as probably like the project lead for the first Assassin's Creed said, the CEO's kid played it. And his story was how the CEO's kid had played what I assume was one of the final builds um, of Assassin's Creed. I think just before I was getting burnt to disc yep. and his feedback was um, that it was boring. And there was nothing to do so the ceo pressured uh the developers into adding side quests to it very very late on i don't
2: think it's i don't think it implied the ceo pressured him but it was just the feedback pressured them to do that i'm not too sure i'm getting that wrong
1: yeah well it says the lead came to him and said so we had to add a bunch of side activities yeah. um i'm not going to say yes unless you are in um and and they did eventually le- say yes, but they hired out their own kind of like conference building. To for get like it five done days. within,
2: was it a week or so? Add side five missions days. to the game. Yeah, that is insane. Like thinking Wild. about that as well, that was one of the criticisms of the game. Those side missions where you had to essentially the game was structured such that you there were X number of people to kill, essentially bosses, assassinate mm. in these cities around um around kind of the middle east i think it was set in the crusades um and essentially when you get to the city you need to gather information on your target and you would do these three side missions um, and they were always the same They were eavesdropping they were tailing a person and i can't remember the third but they were always the same exact thing and it got very repetitive um from what i mm. can recall and um yeah um it's just a shame that 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 feedback led to um, not only just these side missions, but what, what is kind of synonymized with, you know, is to be U- Ubisoft kind of side missions and their kind of design structure. Yeah,
1: like, like on, on the one hand in a specific game itself, it's interesting knowing that the kind of the repetition of these side missions was because if you have to develop something at scale in that short of time, you need to make it as kind of yep. generic as possible. But yeah, it's weird that like something that came from a last minute request from, from like or feedback from CEO has now become a staple in a series that maybe isn't. Maybe it wasn't beloved.
2: necessarily tied down to that feedback. Maybe they would have gone down that path anyway, but it's just really interesting to see uh, how that yeah. interlocks with the history.
1: Yeah, and just the kind of the impact that feedback from someone that, you know, a child of the CEO is not exactly you know, the most objective feedback, I guess. (laughs) And it's kind of surprising that that was, you know, at least the catalyst for this decision being done. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating look into some of the more kind of uh, wild aspects of game development, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's uh, kick off the kind of podcast proper and uh, go into one thing that I think uh, a lot of people have their own really interesting, unique stories with, and we'd love to hear any of them. But uh, lockdown has obviously placed some um, completely new barriers on um, how people socialize, but also how people play games. Yeah. Uh, whether it's kind of multiplayer or whether it's uh, single player games, uh, I think people's gaming habits have completely like changed overnight, essentially. People are having to do um, completely different uh, ways and, and different things to be able to play with people yep. and maybe people are also playing in differently whether that's more whether that's less whether that's different type of games than they would have before and i think it'd be really interesting to kind of dive into that and see how these habits are being broken i guess uh so yeah uh, Amar, i think it'd be interesting to know kind of more about some of the co-op stuff you've been doing because that sounds like really kind of fascinating
2: yeah so i've been playing a lot of co-op games with a few groups of people um just to kind of Spend a bit more time, you know, playing with them in in non-traditional ways, but also because you can't meet up with them and stuff like that, you've got to kind of find something else to do in in the meantime. So one of the more interesting games I've been playing um, is Mario Party 4 online, um, which is interesting. wow. How does that work? (laughs) So essentially, um, I own a copy of Mario Party 4, but um, we usually, sometimes I've played it in in the past with my friends, but um, because we can't play Um, the mario party games anymore um we use a a modified emulator to play that online with other people um and it's it's pretty interesting because it essentially mario party if you're not talking about the modern ones with multiplayer i.e super mario party on the switch and stuff there's no way of playing online co-op or online um, you know competitive with anyone else but Mm. this 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 tool has essentially allowed me to reconnect those kinds of memories i have with with these friends and play these games in a a different way um remotely um still in lockdown and it's just it's just quite interesting it was just so fun essentially it's quite easy process setting it up and stuff but um it was just so much fun having been able to play that game um remotely mic saw up all that kind of stuff and essentially have a kind of equivalent functioning game without too much lag and stuff um there to play so yeah yeah that was that was a really interesting thing that we played
1: Um, cool yeah like it's it's kind of interesting that a lot of old games like even the ones that had uh, wi-fi capabilities built into them a lot of the servers have gone down yes and um when they are so kind of multiplayer dependent like the mario party games there is essentially within the constraints of lockdown there's no way you could play it now no. really and it's with, really up your to, family
2: it's really up to the homebrew community to really kind of solve some of the issues with some of these older games yeah sometimes it only it only gets focused on the more popular games unfortunately but at least there is an active community that's still trying to keep keep these games alive in in the way that they what originally be intended to play if if, if that makes sense uh, maybe in yeah. a different form and that's what lockdown has brought up um but yeah it's just great to see these games have a new light uh, being reborn in, in 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 such dire circumstances i guess so yeah it's really cool
1: yeah it seems like cool examples of other ones like uh mario kart wii which is um a kind yeah. of an interesting one because i played that a lot as a kid and i really enjoyed it but I don't say it particularly stood out for me as, like, one of my favorite Mario karts. I know that has a really big online community. Roller Coaster Tycoon 2, which I totally get that because it's, like, basically the perfect kind of theme park sim. I know that has a lot of, um, and that has for ages, yeah. had a lot of um, kind of support from the community to keep it going. Um, but Mario Party 4 is interesting, though. Do you think it's kind of held up? Because, uh, was it on N64?
2: Uh, this is a GameCube title. It's a so... GameCube one. Oh,
1: actually, I think I own it as um, the kind of player's choice Yeah, version. I think
2: it's the first Mario Party on GameCube, if I'm correct in saying that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's held up. I mean, the AI is still terrible. I was playing with three <laughs> players, um, on e- two other players, human players, on each, each game that I played. And the AI, we put it up to the hardest difficulty. It was just insane how, if he was on your team... He would have won it for you. He would just parallel mirror your movements. Um, Or if he was against you, he would always, you know, find the way um, of, you know, beating you and stuff like that. But no, it was was still really fun. And um, I think it holds up quite well.
1: Yeah, that's good of here, especially when some of the more recent Mario Party games have been um, hit or miss, uh, to put it uh, lightly. But yeah, like playing that sort of game, do you think that's something you would have done before lockdown or do you think like that sort of more kind of social um especially the the online aspect is that something that has come out of this unique situation i think it's
2: come out of this unique situation i don't think i would have really thought about doing this because i could just come up to maybe someone's house or you know meet up with a few friends and play it locally that way i would never have thought of oh i'm going to set up this weird you know tool to play mario party online with my friends it would just be us chatting or us playing a, a normal competitive multiplayer game so yeah. i I, d- I do think it's lockdown that's really brought out you know this change um in in what i'm i'm, I'm searching for and how i'm doing interacting with my friends um I'm not I'm, I'm not sure how this will continue when lockdown you know goes away i think i'd like to continue with with it
1: yeah definitely. um
2: and it's definitely made me think of, oh, I, I don't necessarily need to be in the same space space to play these types of games. Like they they work quite as effectively, you know, over the internet and stuff. So yeah, it's it's definitely something that um, I'll
1: be thinking about in the future. Um, yeah, like I've kind of I'm not a massive kind of multiplayer fan of games. Like yeah. I, I would occasionally play it with friends, but not really that much in person. It'd be like, more the exception to the rule generally. Yep. But over lockdown, I've definitely been playing a lot more kind of multiplayer games, both ones that are obviously accessible, but also ones that maybe are a bit more kind of off the beaten path or require like additional um modifications to play online. And that's yep. something that I definitely would have never done um before. Because lockdown. there was no Just need. But, of, yeah. 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 And playing um, with people that maybe I hadn't played with for yeah. years um, or like ever, which That's, is really, really cool. Definitely.
2: Like that gaming quiz we did, um, the two quizzes, we were just catching up with people we haven't spoken to in years. Yeah. Literally years. And it was just because lockdown had presented this cool opportunity for us to reconnect all in the same situation, maybe various different rule- differences in rules of the lockdowns, but essentially all in the same situation. Yeah. and it was just so much fun you know just catching up um and and just you know playing together and stuff like that I think yeah. um one of the other things you said in terms of playing games in a different way and and using using tools that you may have not necessarily had thought about uh, another tool that I've used um, is steam remote play oh, um nice. steam remote play together and if uh, people don't know what this this feature is it's essentially a A feature on Steam which allows you to play any game that's compatible in your library. Let's say a co-op game or multiplayer game, if it's enabled by the developer. If you own that game and you need to be the only person in the party to own that game, you can play with up to three or four other people. Now, how that's done is that essentially you, as the game owner or the host, you're hosting a live stream to the other three people over the internet. And so they see kind of essentially a mirror image, a video stream essentially of the game that you are playing when, when you invite them to play Steam Remote Play uh, through that feature. And essentially their inputs are being run to your system, I think. I think that's how it works. And essentially it's effectively as if they are playing a co-op game together. They are obviously not getting that kind of local... Um, experience in terms of you know there's a bit of latency because they're they're watching a stream and they're playing um, they're entering inputs that may be a bit laggy or delayed depending on the connection quality um, but essentially I've been playing a few other games through Steam Remote Play such as Speedrunners or Rocket League or um, a few board games like Splendor oh, which cool. I've never played um, which has been really interesting in terms of uh, these these other people don't even need to own this this game. They can just have the luxury of one person, you know, having this in their library, and just being able to play the game, um, which has been really cool.
1: How do you feel that that sort of how how's it work? Like the execution of it. Is there any kind of issues with lag? Is it better for kind of more like board game or turn based games?
2: Yeah. So there has been quite a few issues, and I think the main issue is due to the fact that I'm in a house of. A few people um, on, let's say, 100 to 150 meg connection, which when everyone's using, you know, that connection at the same time and I'm hosting, you know, this game to three other people, that can lead to the receivers of um, the stream having a very artifacted like stream i.e the image is a bit blurry blocky that kind of thing so it's not the best experience for them i've also experienced a few issues where people have disconnected in and out in terms of their controller inputs Um, i'm not too sure what what that issue was it was very game dependent and also just a few audio bug issues we were playing trine which is a co-op um uh, indie game a puzzle kind of platformer and we were having audio bugs um and also the controller input bugs um on, on that game so it's not been the perfect experience um but it has been enjoyable uh, when it has worked so um perhaps maybe when i'm able to get you know a solid internet connection um it it will be better because i will be able to host a more kind of solid stream that's not interrupted or is not subject to being disconnected or subject to more, you know, threshold uh, bandwidth thresholds because so many people are using the internet but but yeah, yeah. Um not perfect, but I've enjoyed what I've uh, played with it.
1: I think that's one kind of second benefit to the likes of, you know, Google Stadia and streaming platforms becoming more popular is yep. people get quite fixated over the kind of the the single player games so like, you know, how will on And also like when you're playing online, so like how will kind of like, you know, do maternal play um, when I'm streaming it. But as that sort of technology gets better, I think that will facilitate this sort of kind of like one person owns the game and can play with lots of other people. That will only get better and the kind of the artifacts and the slight issues will get ironed out.
2: It's just a problem that we're just not there yet in terms of internet speeds. Um, required to maybe stream at least like a 720p resolution of the stream getting that latency way down having local i think google was talking about the way that they could you know get for stadia the platform stadia for that for them to get a like a perfect stream and not perfect but you know the latency low enough to it not really affecting you know gameplay as much as you might notice you need local google centers and google fiber and you know stuff like that that really just enables you to kind of reduce that latency to to uh, to as much as possible um so we're not there yet but um hopefully in the future that if if that technology does improve that will enable more of these types of experiences
1: yeah i I think maybe one thing that come out of the lockdown is a greater push and more resources towards trying to kind of ameliorate that sort of issue improve as, the broadband yeah.
2: infrastructure yeah
1: yeah as so our kind of priorities have been reassessed and if we're ever in this sort of situation again if we're not in it for like you know quite a long time yeah then these sort of things do need to get better they can't just be kind of ignored anymore I'm,
2: i mean even if we come out of this the, the world's kind of changed in terms of working habits i mean
1: yeah definitely. i can't
2: imagine everybody now wanting to go straight back to the office it's now i mean it's now evident that everyone can work from home, nearly everybody at least, um, from a kind of traditional office worker job perspective. And so they, the government or whoever will need to invest in infrastructure that can continually support video streams, video conferencing, um, all the types of working from home that you can do. Um, so that, yeah, that, there'll definitely be a push from that and that will trickle down into the kind of improvements in in these types of gaming experiences that i've uh, been testing out
1: cool well, wh- one thing i've kind of noticed myself um mm. aside from all this is i've just I, it kind of makes sense obviously because you're stuck inside there's not much to do yeah i've definitely been, like putting far more hours into gaming than i previously had yep. which has been nice in some ways but it does i think maybe expose certain games to aren't exactly meant to be played as much as they should be in such a short time <laughs> um i am hinting quite strongly animal crossing here and so yeah like i i think in the previous episode i mentioned how long i've i've been playing it for so i'm not yep. going to repeat myself here listen to episode two if you want to hear that <laughs> but yeah uh, that's one game that obviously has been perfectly suited to the lockdown because it yep. it kind of provides that one kind of that island escape that element of control that you you know you have something that you can go to every single day and while it might be sort of chores I guess and I know that's one criticism that people that aren't a big fan of the series would mention that you know it does feel a bit like a chore eventually yeah but it is something that kind of gives you control in that you can do it you get positive results and it's you know you can't always get that now when like while you can have the routine of work and stuff in lockdown it's over digital it's a lot harder to kind of immediately get the sort of the sort of benefit that makes you feel good about doing it necessarily um and while animal crossing has been just yeah perfectly suited to that sort of environment it has maybe been exposed a bit for just the sort of extent that people can play it and how that makes it feel a tiny bit shallow i guess uh which does kind of make me feel a bit bad for complaining about a game that I've put well over 150 hours in. Like at that point I should be satisfied with the kind of amount I've paid for yeah. it. And I definitely do. And I feel like it's been a fantastic game and it's definitely one of my kind of all time favorites purely just for how fantastic it's been in this scenario. But it, it does make me feel compared to like the, the rest of the games and the previous games, is it as deep or is that just because I'm playing it more and yeah it's kind of hard to reconcile my new habits I guess to an objective view of the game but yeah I don't know do you have any any thoughts on any of that
2: yeah it's it's weird because you're you're obviously playing the game how it's not designed to be played like you said you're playing it in a in a weird environment where it's prolonging the amount that you stay in the game if that makes sense um and i get those valid those criticisms and i think they're perfectly valid i mean no one person is going to be playing a game in the same way if that makes sense everyone's going to be having a different experience whether it's animal crossing or a different game they're going to be playing it with a different perspective a different environment different thoughts coming into the game different kind of background different setups all that kind of stuff so i think it's perfectly valid that you have those opinions of a of a game that perhaps may not have been played in you know the most normal of circumstances but it does stress some of the the kind of shortcomings of the game and i think yeah, I, I think it's perfectly valid because everyone has these these completely different, completely different experiences. Now, you could say perhaps the game design, perhaps the game wasn't designed to have that, you know, have that environment in in the backdrop, and so it wasn't the developers in mind weren't thinking we'll, we'll be in lockdown, people will be playing this ten hours on end, on end, on end every day. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't yeah. think that's. You could also argue it's not a fault of the game design, and it's the fault of the environment that you're playing it. And it's, it's 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 an odd one because uh, you could you could say yes, it's it's the game design that's being you know that's being highlighted here. That I have fundamental faults with this game because of the amount of hours I've spent in it, and I and because I've spent this many hours in it, I can really see where where the game the holes are in the game. But you could also argue, from the game developer's perspective, no, this is not an ordinary environment. This is just a product of its environment that that these you know flaws are coming into place. Um, yeah, so it's a really interesting argument.
1: Yeah, like there are some elements. I know probably the biggest feedback um, amongst the kind of Animal Crossing community, I guess, yeah, is the uh, the small quality of life improvements that people want. And looking at them kind of objectively. There are elements that, like you know, mass crafting should be possible. Things like that that um, Mm. do kind of it does feel like padding at times, I guess. But at the same time, yeah, it's these, these, this environment has shed a lot of light on aspects that wouldn't have maybe been as exposed as possible in a different scenario. Yeah, and yeah, that's kind of what people want fixed. And yeah, it's just kind of interesting. I think I think the point you mentioned about how you know people's different experiences are definitely key there because. Yeah, just, you know, in in such a unique situation that I hate saying it's unprecedented, but it is unprecedented. (laughs) Uh, Everyone's going to have their own kind of unique experiences. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's just kind of the best thing to take from it. But yeah, one other thing that I've been doing um, quite a lot is uh, just playing like more games than I ever would, revisiting my indie game catalogue and Mm. trying to complete as many as I can. And so, yeah, I think um, in the next part, uh, this is my clever seg into it, uh, (laughs) we'll take a look at some of our favourite indie games that we've played both recently and also kind of, you know, in the past year or two and ones that we really recommend and get into a bit more detail about all that. So uh, stay tuned. Yeah, cool. Hey there, welcome back to OCO episode three. So after just discussing how our lockdown gaming habits have been changing, I think it's good to uh, kind of uh, put a spotlight on some of the coolest indie games we've been playing both within lockdown and also over the previous year or two and really kind of dive into them and see why they are so special in our memory. Uh, so one that I know uh, Amal has some uh, really kind of uh, fond memories over and one that I've finally started playing after <laughs> reading so many good things about it for so many years uh, was Ori in the Blind Forest, Definitive Edition on Switch. And I've probably put about three or four hours into it. And I just have to say the music, like the beyond all else, yeah. it is just so good
2: it's also one thing i noticed is a lot of the soundtrack is based on the main theme
1: yeah yeah and it's
2: just even though that same song is played in different ways uh whether it's a bit of more of a sad piece whether it's a fast-paced chase out of a cave um that kind of stuff it always just feels more magical and more you know uh, impactful every time it's played it's 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 incredible i don't know how who composed i think it was called i think the composer's called gareth coker if i'm not mistaken but yeah well, thank
1: yeah. you gareth for your fantastic the, work the ost is
2: just fantastic um it has one of the one of the saddest openings to a game i, I felt it is yeah it is it's quite to spoil anything yeah, yeah and it's only about five to ten minutes but yeah it does it does hit a few heartstrings when you when you're watching you know Ori who is this guardian that's uh, been left essentially as a kind of I can't remember was he was he just left around uh, by a cave or something abandoned or I can't remember what the um the background so, of Ori so was so he but...
1: um he initially like flew off a tree and then landed um... by um the kind of I can't remember their name but it's the yeah. the kind of the the, the father caring or father or figure yeah. yeah yeah and then you just have a really emotional kind of uh perspective on their growing up um and, and i don't want to get too much it's into great it, but... because
2: you you do get to interact with that that grown-up sequence and you get to see you know the seasons go past from you know wonderful spring you know where everyone's happy in summer until the autumn and winter where everything becomes more dead um and and dull yeah. um and slower uh, which is which is really cool really cool touch
1: it is quite reminiscent of the beginning of Up. Um, yes the film. That's, which, that's a good,
2: yeah, it's a good comparison, yeah.
1: Which is probably the most kind of impactful beginning to anything really. Yeah. And Ori really has channeled that sort of emotion in it. But yeah, while we're kind of get into soundtracks in a future episode, maybe even the next episode in more detail. Um, just the the rest of the game is fantastic too. The I think the kind of physics so To give context, it's a Metroidvania-type game, so you progress through this world, um, you can upgrade your skills, you actually have a quite clever kind of save state where um, over time your are kind of your meter recharges and then you can just save anywhere in the world. And when you die, you go back to that saving point. Yep. So it's a bit of kind of risk reward there, like when you're going to save, are you going to wait till a different point or mm-hmm. could you end up going into a boss completely exposed and you'll lose like five, 10 minutes of progress? Yeah. Which is quite exciting. But yeah, just the kind of the physics and the controls are, are really, really responsive and just so fluid. One it's thing I so do well. have
2: to highlight is this game is hard. It's, and I'm not saying that in like a, oh, uh, this, you know, this game's quite difficult. It's hard as in a platformer type difficulty, if, if you understand what yeah. I mean, i.e., Super Meat Boy, that type of thing. It's hard because you have firstly really difficult you know platforming sections at times where you're trying to whether it's jumping out of a set piece where you're jumping out of a cave like I was alluding to earlier or trying to bypass this really you know thorny spiky um, uh, environment or there's a lot of enemies surrounding you in this thorny environment and you've got to think about not only just how you're jumping, but also how you're attacking people, because how yeah. you attack people in this game is also a bit weird. Uh, I don't know if you uh, agree with that, Rob. Um, and to yeah, it's sp- like
1: you you have this elaborate. orb. Um, I it has a name. I'm really sorry, I don't know it, but um, it kind of like hovers around you, and yep. rather than your character like directly attacking, this orb kind of fires lasers sort of at it. Essentially, it's
2: like curls of light essentially and they and they connect if you're close enough to an enemy they'll just automatically connect um whether it's maybe like a few meters apart from them uh, which is quite cool when you start to get quite skilled at using that type of attack in terms of oh this enemy's i know this enemy's over here i can just quickly knock off a few attacks maybe head back a bit um hide away and then come back when i when those those enemy projectiles are, are missing
1: yeah, at first it felt quite weird because it's like you don't have as kind of a direct interaction. Like when, when you're attacking with your character, yeah. um, you know, like you would in any other kind of Metroidvania game, your positioning of your character is, is quite obvious. Like you know where to be, where to not get hit. Yeah. But for this one, it's like you're not directly attacking. And so you almost need to be like a tiny bit further away from enemies to be most effective so that your rays of light can still hit them, mm-hmm. but you're also safe from danger. If you go too close, it's like you're just kind of putting yourself in a dangerous position. Yeah. And it definitely is different. I don't know if I entirely prefer it, mm. but it's it's an interesting take. I don't I'd know say the, if you've... The only kind of negative that I've taken from the game mm. so far um, is I don't think the environments are kind of as distinct as I'd like Um, There's been a few which have been a bit memorable, but others, they do kind of blur into one. And maybe that's a benefit of, like, this kind of, you know, having this unified theme across the entire land. And maybe later on, there are more memorable ones. But compared to the likes of Hollow Knight, where each individual segment is like its own world, I don't know, it's... I'm, I'm waiting to see more from i
2: it. don't know what you've explored in terms of areas at the moment but i do remember one i mean there is your traditional kind of and i don't, I don't think it's a spoiler but like fire ice kind of foresty areas It is yeah. quite a varied world but there is one quite cool neat area um that's very i just didn't expect that that type of area from this kind of game it was quite annoying to traverse uh, i don't know if i'm giving a bit away there but I'm I'm quite keen to hear your thoughts when you do get to that particular area because it is is fairly fairly obscure um, in terms of how you traverse that area. I, I do wonder: have you unlocked any powers for Ori at the moment? Um, so far. Yes.
1: Yeah, so I've unlocked um this kind of charge attack. I've unlocked double jump, and I've um, unlocked quite a few through um the a uh, skill upgrade tree great system yep. so i just got the dash which i'm finding quite fun to mess around with
2: is that dash the kind of you bounce off in an enemy projectile and shoot yourself off kind of thing um
1: i th- i think it's just like an air dash
2: oh um, so there is this and i don't want to say too much because you haven't got to this part yet but that was one of the most interesting mechanics in this game and how you essentially you you gain more and more abilities and you gain additional ways to kind of traverse the air and the world and traverse larger and larger and larger gaps and it really enhances how especially when you're in set-piece gameplay moments where you're trying to get out of a cave quickly or uh, tumbling rocks how you can just move through the air quite skillfully whilst enemies are constantly shooting at you and if you get that completely right in one try Without dying, it's just the most amazing feeling ever. With the soundtrack in the background as well, just great.
1: Speaking of dashing soundtracks and <laughs> Metroidvanias, I I just need to start talking about Hollow Knight. Yes, honestly, it's uh, on on our quiz that we did over the weekend. Um, I think someone mentioned how it was the best Metroidvania they've ever played, and even better than a better Metroidvania than Metroid itself. And I. I honestly think I do have to agree with it. It is um, just such a fantastic game. So the the world and soundtrack, kind of as I've alluded to, are brilliant. But also the way you can kind of customize your character with um, these pins that give mm. them abilities and you have limited numbers means you can almost like create your own builds yep. and your own play styles. And so the one that I kind of gravitated towards was this uh, one that involved dashing. And so you can dash through enemies um, and not take damage. And yep. it means that during combat, you're quite nimble and it's all about movement as well as like attacking and uh with with it's kind of you know rock hard gameplay i think in the same nature of ori it's it's the environments are hard to explore and also the enemies can be quite tough and you need to really kind of read the patterns yeah yeah it's just it's such like kind of engaging gameplay what i I really
2: love love about it is the story and setting less the story more the setting so i don't know if you've ever heard of this tv program it was a cartoon show called red wall um, no, I it's essentially a tv show it's very King Garthian in in terms of it's about a group of animals who are it's kind of set in like 15th century kind of thing uh where they're trying to um prevent an invasion of these i can't remember whether weasels or you know evil type creatures from invading their kind of church pen and there was like this kind of um prophecy of a a a famous warrior that would come come of age and you know wield the sword and that kind of thing kind of like the legend of zelda how you were talking about that earlier in 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 episode one but i i just love that kind of setting of you know the prophecies are fulfilled you know the hero takes up the mantle saves the day kind of thing with animals and that was red wars kind of usp and i felt like this really hit at home that kind of as- that kind of setting where you're this little bug creature i'm not too sure what you actually are like a beetle kind of thing
1: yeah I'm it's some sort of sure. bug
2: but you're essentially exactly. in a world of bugs where everything is microscopic um but these these little bugs have built you you're kind of exploring the ruins of a great forgotten city where something has gone terribly wrong in terms of all these creatures that you find, all these enemies that you're facing are kind of corrupted to a point. Maybe there was a disease or a virus that had, you know, spread around 50, 100 years ago. and fitting. <laughs> fitting, yes, very fitting. And had left this this place, you know, desolate and um, isolated. But that's essentially the, the kind of setting that they they really just nail on the head. And I pardon the pun again uh, with the weapon that you use, the... Uh, the nail Uh, um, but (laughs) I I just I just love that 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 setting um, and just that kind of exploring these long forgotten places um, and stuff like that and I I think the sound design also kind of helps amplify that whether that's the kind of echoes that you hear of the footsteps when you're or or the shouts when you're exploring you know those long forgotten cities of enemies in the background or when you get hit kind of the sound I think kind of gets blurred out almost for just a, yeah, a tiny yeah. fraction just those little touches are just fantastic
1: i'm really glad you mentioned the kind of story and setting of the game mm. because it's definitely one thing that stuck with me really strongly and compared to ori which like does fantastic storytelling it's is quite a bit more kind of i don't want to say in your face but it's, it's more kind of you know explicit about it the way hollow knight does it in that you don't really have kind of any context going into this environment. You just know it's a city, you know, there's been some sort of plague and a curse and you go through and find kind of some creatures that are suffering and all these kind of enemies that have, they're all kind of, you know, really unique intricate design, which is another fantastic aspect of it. But they also like look quite similar. They don't necessarily look like your kind of stereotypical, like evil enemy. Yeah. And, It just it leaves you kind of guessing and trying to find out more about this world and i think in a similar way to how the metroid prime games do it you could just play through the game and you could just beat it and it would be a fantastic experience but you can also spend a lot more time kind of going through the world exploring speaking to people filling out your critterpedia and things like that and just kind of discovering more about what happens and you never really get any solid answers but it leaves so much to the imagination and um just kind of for you to make your own conclusions. Yeah. It is like in terms of atmosphere, it really is kind of up there with anything else I've ever played. And I cannot recommend that game enough. I think it is one of the best I've ever played.
2: Yeah. It's it's a really solid Metroidvania. Definitely. And it is one of the most well produced indie games I have ever played.
1: I, I'm very, very excited for Silksong, which is the kind of... I don't know if it's a direct sequel.
2: I think it might be a direct sequel. I don't think it has um, the Hollow Knight um, as the main character, but um, uh, I can't remember uh, her name. What was her name?
1: Uh, I can't remember, but yeah, it's the one that uh, you fight who is kind of like a rival almost.
2: I, She's like almost a like a protector of the yeah. land that you're trying to investigate and um, mm. and explore. And she's now the, the the main character in this this sequel, and the movement is um is changed in terms of her movement is very much tied in with the combat, and she can kind of jump in 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 diagonal places and kind of her her her, her movement is just more dynamic than than your characters in in Hollow Knight.
1: Yeah, I, I have a lot of trust in uh, Team Cherry. Yeah, smashing out of the park yet again. Cool. But um, kind of going um, away from Metroidvanias for one moment, one kind of weird game that I've been playing that I haven't really revisited since I think it released was Golf Story oh. on, on the Switch again. And this is a really kind of uh, funny and charming game. It's... Kind of in the same mold as the Mario Tennis and Mario Golf RPGs that I think were on the Game likes Boy of the Color. Game Boy yeah, yeah,
2: I remember there was quite a cool Mario RPG game
1: on. Uh, sorry, a
2: Mario Tennis RPG game on Game Boy Color.
1: Yeah, it's kind of got that sort of Camelot vibes, which is really yeah. cool. And so it's like you you do play a bit of like this this golf game that gives you like you know ways you can improve and that sort of RPG aspect mm. to it, but it also lets you kind of go around these environments, hit switches, discover secrets, and all this, like, kind of, really other interesting side to the game, which is cool, but the highlight beyond like beyond doubt is both the soundtrack and also just the humor of the game so like every kind of interaction you have with uh these characters is just like really really funny and your your character just gets absolutely slated for his golf skills all the time even when you're getting like hole in one after hole in one your coach uh, is just like absolutely brutal and he refuses to train you because he thinks you're terrible at first And then you actually do a a tag team with him later on. And turns out he is really, really bad. (laughs) And it's just like kind of both like obvious humor, but also really subtle quirks like that really bring a lot of charm into the game. And I know the developer has uh, a game called Sports Story coming up, which I think is like Golf Story, but spread over a few other sports. Yeah,
2: sounds cool, yeah. Like a kind of Olympics vibe in terms of you going through or like a kind of um, triathlon
1: or you know those kinds of sports and yeah i like that yeah i think it. so like i think it's coming out this year as well so ah. that's something to look forward to but yeah it's it's a quite an underrated right well, it's underrated i think it's like one of the top 10 selling indie games <laughs> on on the eShop store in part because it's released right at the start when yeah. people just wanted content but it's it's such a good game it's it's really kind of brought uh, a bit of levity to an otherwise uh bleak Eternal Hell. Yes. That I'm in. <laughs> well, speaking of indie games, uh, for anyone who is a podcast regular, I know we have uh, a few fans now. We introduced a new segment last week, which is the one-hit KO section, where every you gotta, month
2: you gotta say the one-hit KO.
1: Rob, we gotta do it. Okay, okay, three, two, one. One-hit one hit hit KO. 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 Wow. Nice. <laughs> I wonder if that's better than the first one at the start. Anyway, uh, every month we're going to basically be randomizing um, a game from a list and um, picking it out at random and then playing it through and giving you our thoughts. So last week we did it for the first time and the RNG chose for us Blasphemous, which is this kind of uh, weird little... uh, Metroidvania I think it's got quite a dark undertone um I yes. I've, I've read I don't know if it's set in it or based in it but has links to the Spanish Inquisition which is quite dark but uh yeah we'll be reviewing it kind of in more detail at the start of next month as well as choosing the next game for mm. our series but yeah amal do you have any thoughts of it from um just you know a brief preview yeah so
2: i've been playing about two three hours of it so far uh, i would say i um, not too far into the game i think it says i'm 18 percent into the game but oh, wow. it definitely does have those dark spanish inquisition themes and i mean right from the start there's just the holy church kind of themes into the cutscenes of Um, a woman uh, dressed in kind of church clothing getting turned into stone and then someone taking a sword out from her um, uh, who seems to be a less pious kind of figure. And all the enemies have this weird kind of Medusa type kind of um, design to them where they've all been kind of corrupted. Um, The whole world, everyone speaks in this very pious religious type language um it's very unsettling in some respects um again um quite interestingly it's set in during the uh, the plague uh, a plague um which is quite <laughs> similar to you know what we're experiencing oh, now yeah <laughs> quite a lot of this uh, plague uh, stuff going on but yeah, um it's
1: kind of a recurring theme of this podcast yeah it's <laughs> great
2: pandemics um but um your 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 thoughts on um, it is essentially a a metroidvania but it's also very inspired by dark souls in terms of you you go for a run um there are particular save points throughout the world um and you will essentially face enemies that are quite difficult to um counter and um overcome at first because you don't know their patterns um they come at you in very weird different types of movement patterns you don't know the hitbox as well and you're trying to kind of overcome these weird types of obstacles in terms of climbing up stuff and all these you know breaking platforms and stuff like that so it has that kind of dark souls vibe, where if you die you have to kind of collect your souls that it's called guilt in this game yes guilt Uh, (laughs) very odd um And if you don't collect that guilt back, essentially your mana meter, and I think also the way you collect XP by defeating enemies, is capped. And it will continue capping the more you die. Unlike Dark Souls, if you die again and again and again, you will keep dropping these types of souls, your guilt, across those multiple death points. And if you don't cleanse your guilt at these particular statues, it will just keep capping and capping and capping your kind of powers and, and meters in that way. So essentially, it's 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 a very odd, unsettling game that's got a very it's got quite a few weird systems. Um, quite enjoying. That it does sound
1: moment. yeah pretty bleak. Yes, I'm looking forward to dive into it a bit more mm-hmm. over the next few weeks um, in preparation for our big review cool cool well let's uh, move on to uh, some of the questions and feedback that we received um yep. thank you again so much for sending everything in if you have any questions on anything we've mentioned so far something you want us to answer or any feedback let us know at podcast at gmail.com cool well yeah the first or uh, well, probably the only question we're gonna have time for as we've spent a lot of time chatting about since <laughs> this episode is um what are our thoughts on uh i think game distribution services giving away games yep. for free and um i guess also it'd be interesting to look at kind of the prevalence of game sales and whether that was almost like devalued titles or change people's buying habits and games so yeah well what are your thoughts
2: i think from a consumer perspective it's great to have more free games i mean that's just more content for the consumers to consume that's just good for everybody and from a, like a game industry perspective it's great for people to have access to these different types of games that they otherwise wouldn't have bought or just having them have access to these different types of games that they may have otherwise not even you know considered or purchased so from that kind of perspective expanding the gaming audience expanding you know the amount of content you have it's great Um, from a competition perspective it's also really cool in terms of just one, one maybe storefront and I think the most famous is Epic Games um, in, re- in recent weeks releasing GTA 5 on PC for free uh, for a limited time for a week, um, which is quite quite a big game, um, quite a prolific game. It's cool just to see, you know, these other stores, you know, um, increasing the competitiveness, uh, increasing the competition amongst other existing stores where they, you know, may have a very strong foothold on, you know, a particular market on the PC. Ie Steam, yeah. and may not be induced, to, you know, improving consumer experiences because you know they they've got a monopoly over over the the, the platform kind of um, platform areas on, on PC. But I also I also take your point about devaluation in terms of if people expect these games to be free and they expect you know these games to be constantly releasing for free. What happens when you do release a AAA game and perhaps it's not as prolific? And people just think, oh, this is going to go on sale in two, three, four, five, six weeks. It does go on sale. It doesn't make much money. They still think, oh, it could go free in the future. And it doesn't make much money because people's expectations have changed in terms of how they consume this content, how much they pay for a piece of game, a title game. And that could also have kind of adverse effects on, on the industry. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's two two aspects to that really i don't know about you rob what you think of that
1: yeah it's a tricky one because uh like looking at my own kind of purchasing habits i noticed that i don't buy a lot of games around launch anymore especially kind of ones that aren't on nintendo consoles because nintendo ones. typically hold their value quite well like i wouldn't buy the most recent spider-man game at launch because i know within two or three months it's going to be half price yeah and if i'm probably not going to get around to it like i can wait a few months and just get it for cheaper and that's something i do a lot and also having written and kind of been involved uh with the ios community quite extensively i've seen firsthand how that sort of culture of sales and cheap prices is basically devalue games from having you know proper full price ones um Mm. full price it's like about six or seven pounds but now people are like a game is available for one pound they're like well humble bundle i would say yeah yeah, i'm just gonna wait till it's free or i'm gonna wait for a sale like it isn't it's too expensive at like two pounds which is absolutely wild um and you also see it on other platforms so that people are like oh when's it going to be on PS plus for free yeah why don't i just wait a year xbox game pass when games are immediately i'm not immediately saying that's bad i mean
2: from a consumer's pers- perspective you want games for the cheapest that you you can can get them for and if you know it's going to be cheaper and there's no point of you playing it right now maybe you're not too into the multiplayer aspect of the game or there's not like this live event structure to the game then why not wait but it does yeah. kind of impact expected revenues that these publishers get especially for these less well-known games that are having you know have high high budgets and pay- perhaps not covering you know those budgets because
1: yeah it, it makes me kind of worried about how some games will be received when you know like a beloved indie game gets released for yep. 10 10 pounds and people think it's too much yeah um and also just the kind of the inevitable shift towards free to play and just cheaper Mm. budgets because people um, aren't willing to pay much my biggest concern is like regardless of how you look at it and your take even though it might be good for consumers um, it might be bad for developers like no matter what your argument is it's incredibly hard if not impossible to kind of claw back and go back in the other direction yeah once you've set this precedent for stuff going on sale and stuff being free and everyone does it and people have those expectations you can't really just change it and the worse they get kind of the worse they permanently get it feels yeah and like maybe it can be changed over time but like ios has basically been permanently um while there's been like like some apple arcade which have revitalized it slightly and a few of the basically... success
2: stories like monument valley um and, and stuff like
1: that they're definitely kind of the exceptions to the rule though and True. it's taken like an entirely new kind of revenue structure like a subscription service mm. which you know in itself is and maybe that's a lot of games for free and maybe that's
2: the future for these types of titles being a success um in the future um and yeah subscription services staying for uh, growing and staying with us for quite a while
1: um i just i don't know how much i feel about that with you know physical gaming being Mm. i don't know maybe that's just being tied to my nostalgia and the way kind of games were when i was growing up and it's just a new new reality or as people like to say a new normal (laughs) that we need to start adapting to um but it's it's definitely a change and
2: i will say that from a consumer perspective also there is the positives of you know low priced more free games having access to all these titles But there's also the negative, and this is kind of different from the free games point, but more to do with different stores popping up, not having, and this is a minor point, it's more of a quality of life feature point, but just not having all your games in one place where all your friends lists are kind of circulated or or is set and having all your kind of extra profile features and stuff like that or not integrated into one platform and fragmented over like five or six platforms on PC is just a bit annoying from a consumer perspective yeah
1: yeah i I think be careful what you wish for is the key takeaway (laughs) from all this like there are benefits but you need to know what comes of those and you need to weigh up for yourself whether you think it's worth it cool Cool. we've got Um, some
2: listener feedback um as a as an extra part to this question and answer uh part of this podcast um should i have a read of it rob and you may want to answer it
1: yeah go on let's let's see what people think
2: yeah so it's, it's related to the paper mario segment that we were talking about and and remakes and the remake culture uh, last episode i think it was the second part of the podcast where we were talking about paper mario and the disappointments of the most recent paper mario's not being traditional rpgs um and this this new paper mario i think it's called origami king is perhaps yep. going back and harkening back to the roots and aaron um, essentially, sent us sent us this feedback saying, my thinking was that a lot of the worry over the new Paper Mario isn't just the fact that it might not be a traditional RPG like the older Paper Mario's, but whether it can maintain the alternate alternate you know take on on the standard gameplay gameplay formula, um, and also maintaining that feel of an interconnected and alive world. Um, he was saying that kind of in the past, Nintendo have really only said they will revitalize Paper Mario if there's a new gimmick which wasn't really what made Paper Mario special it was more about the interesting paper mechanics and that interconnected feeling um, of that world being kind of lived in almost. So what do you think
1: of that Rob? Yeah I think that's a, a really interesting take and I know a lot of people have their own personal connections to this franchise and take their own things from it and I certainly have done that too. But um, the I, th- I think the other previous Paper Mario games, so looking at the three ones that came after Thousand Year Door, which I think people take the most kind of uh, criticism for, um, which is Super Paper Mario, Sticker Star, and Color Splash. Yep. I think these games... Actually, do a really good job of creating an interconnected and alive world. Like the charm of the games, the kind of the environments, all that sort of thing. Like that is a strength to these games. For all their flaws, that is definitely a positive. And I've I was watching this morning there was some kind of like creepy teaser trailers for Color Splash too, which had a similar vibe to the Origami King and. That does kind of you know make make me think maybe that's something that has been overlooked a bit um i think the rpg aspects and also the the necessity to have kind of like you know unique partners that can help the kind of the combat is a totally valid um criticism of the game because it it basically made battles in the previous three pointless because you didn't get an experience they were just kind of you used stickers to do it 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 was it was horrible um but that is kind of where I've seen the majority of criticism Um, and I think that is a legitimate worry but yeah I I think like the kind of the paper mechanics are a bit of a gimmick Um, but they are quite endearing and like Origami King definitely does need to have uh, a cool battle system it needs to have um, fascinating worlds that feel interconnected and alive but at the same time that's not something I've seen lacking in previous paper mario games um yeah it'll just be interesting to kind of see when it launches yeah whether it can kind of combine the positive elements from the previous ones that we probably will have to accept as an inevitability going forward in this series in that it needs to be you know accessible enough um that probably a bit more accessible than something like a thousand year door was that was released at Mm. kind of a weird time in nintendo's history but it also does need to have those elements that make those first two games so loved um yeah uh, i think when the game comes out we'll definitely have a, a better uh, indication yeah of what it Yeah, is and we'll, we'll dive into it in a bit more detail when it's released but yeah no, I, I think your take is perfectly valid um yeah yeah thanks cool.
2: aaron for sending that through
1: yeah thank you um Yeah, if anyone else has any other feedback or comments that you'd like, anything we've said that you think is particularly controversial (laughs) or maybe outright wrong, please do let us know and we'll admit to any of our sins in future episodes. Oh,
2: I like that. Sins, (laughs) hell, (laughs) limbo, blasphemous, all connected.
1: This episode really does have quite a dark undertone.
2: Yeah, it does. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to be referenced in our title. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we'll have to see wow I, I think that's a a nice bleak point to End wrap on. things up yeah
2: so well, yeah thank, thank thanks thanks again for rob for having us. me on this this podcast and yeah next week we might be having well definitely we will having a guest this time i know we've been yes. promising it quite a few weeks now <laughs>
1: but <laughs> We can confirm that we do have a guest lined up for next. So unless he gets ill or dies, we'll definitely be having him on board. Yeah. Cool. And we'll also be having probably our first kind of really thematic episode where we're going to be diving into a topic that um, we both are really interested in. And I think we have discussed at length and it'd, it'd be really enjoyable to get into it more detail. Yeah. And that is soundtracks and sound design um, for video games.
2: Yeah, and it'll be really interesting if people could, you know, send in their favourite soundtracks and, you know, feedback on their favourite game sound design and maybe we could perhaps take a, a bit of a peek into those types of games if we've if we've also uh, played them as well and just have their general comments on it
1: yeah like a celebration of all video games kind of best best songs best yeah. OSTs, best best sound effects like it'd be great to dive into in a bit more detail yeah also some of your worst if anything sticks out particularly uh, negatively that would yeah. be interesting to read so um oh, yeah, i've, I've, I've already everything.
2: got one as an infamous, very bad soundtrack, I think it was a Sonic RPG on Game Boy Advance. I think it was made by Obsidian actually, um, oh, wow. and the soundtrack is just god awful. Um, it's just renowned for being <laughs> absolutely bad. I listened to a piece on YouTube and it's just
1: bad. I'm looking forward to uh, diving into Sonic. Was it Sonic the Dark Brotherhood? I can't remember. Yes, that. yes, that's the name of it. Yeah, yeah no, that does DS. Oh, I was it DS? I, remember, uh, 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 I think I played it actually. Oh <laughs> really? And I, the soundtrack does not stick out to me, so I guess that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, cool. Cool. Um no, thank you for joining me. It's been a great episode. Yep. I think maybe a slightly longer than we previously had, but um hopefully, hopefully lots just of as, content Just as just as much
2: just as enjoyable as the last
1: few. Awesome. Cool. Well, let's uh yet again end with a really awkward one-hit KO.
2: Okay. Let's go, Three, Rob.
1: Two, one.
2: One Hits K.O.
1: Okay. Thank you for listening.